Hello, you're listening to the Theodisc podcast, and I'm really glad that you're here. My name is Kenny, and on this episode, I'm delighted to host Christine Westoff. Chris serves on the international team for 24-7 Prayer and is the founder of Akuo Missions. She's also the author and developer of Reframing the Prophetic, a biblical reflection course on the gift and purpose of the prophetic. You can find out more at reframingtheprophetic.com. And in our conversation, Chris unpacked some of the misunderstandings and misapplication of prophetic gifting that she sees in churches and speaks about her passion to see this vital gift flourishing across the church in a healthy, scriptural and vibrant way. If you have any comments or questions about this or any of our other episodes, please email us at podcast at wtctheology.org.uk. Now, I hope you're settled in and ready to enjoy this conversation with Chris. Well, on this episode of the Theodisc podcast, we have Chris Westoff with us. Hi, Chris. Hi, Kenny. It's great to have you with us. And we're going to talk today about um, a course you've developed called Reframing the Prophetic. Yes. Uh, But before we get into that, uh, everyone who's a first-time guest on our podcast is subjected to three questions. I'm scared. <laughs> and these are just to get to know you a little bit. Now, there's no pressure on this. We won't hold you to these answers if you change Thank your you mind. Thank you very much. Thank you. Down the line. But um, three three things I'd want to ask about things that you return to, things that are comforts for you. Um, so we, we talk a lot on the podcast about new ideas that people are exploring um, but this is about the things that are constants and that you go back to. So the three categories are a favorite book or a book you return to, a meal or a kind of food you return to, and a place. So let's take the book first. What's a book that you find yourself consistently returning to? I think first it would probably be an author. Uh, I mean, I am I embarrassed? I'm not embarrassed. Thomas Merton is definitely somebody I find myself returning to. And the reason I kind of stopped and paused because I'm trying to think of one of his books. And the reason I hesitated and thought, am I embarrassed? I'm not embarrassed about Thomas Merton, of course. But he does get go rather like, you know, off into La La Land. But it's part of why I love him. But I, uh, he always seems to just anchor me back into the contemplative way, which I... Uh, that's what I return to more than anything else. So whatever contemplative author um, that is drawing me in that day is what I return to. Yeah, Martin's a good one though. Yeah. Seven Story Mountain. I know, I know it. I just, the new seeds of contemplation, especially the first half is is my love. Great. Yeah. What about a, a food or a meal that you return to? Now this I'm gonna be legitimately embarrassed by because but I'm going to choose honesty over anything. <laughs> it is macaroni and cheese. And the reason, I mean, I'm allergic to dairy, so it's a, it's a problem. But I, I, I just, I can't help it. It's, it's, it's all different versions from the, the boxed version that I used to feed my children when they were little to the really good homemade stuff my mom makes. Macaroni and cheese is the food. Now, I, I lived in the States for quite a while, and I am partial to a boxed macaroni. I, it's, 
I still love it. It's not even real cheese. It's powder that you add butter to. It's just wrong on so many levels. But I'll still just like, ooh, yeah, I need me some of that. And what about a place that you return to? Uh, the first thing that hits my mind is Detroit, Michigan. It's where I was born and raised. Um, driving the streets, uh, it just feels like home, even though uh, some of my family still lives there, but um, many of them don't. It still just feels like home. I land in that place. I feel like the people feel comfortable. The language feels like me. It's just home. Motor City. The Motor City. There you go. Born and raised. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let's talk about um, this course that you developed. And I guess there's a, there's a, a really great overlap with WTC. Because mm-hmm. WTC is a college where we're really committed to um, the gifts of the spirit. We want to see people growing in their understanding and their expression of those gifts. Um, but we want that expression to be rooted theologically yeah. in a way that um, that honors people and honors God and helps people avoid some of the abuses and distortions of spiritual gifts um, over the years. And so um, what's interesting about your course is I think you've developed and pulled on uh, wise voices, a course that speaks to the sense of um, how do we continue to exercise these prophetic gifts um, in that rooted and honoring way. So why don't you just give us an overview of the course itself um, as we start? It'd be great. Sure. Um, Is it all right if I give a little bit of the backstory as to why I even started building it in the first place? Yeah. um, I've been in in a charismatic prophetic ministry for 30 some odd years. And I've, I've seen the glorious and the dreadful. I've, um, truth be told, I've, I've done the glorious and the dreadful, right? I, I've, I've been in enough streams of charismania, and, um, and I, there's always beautiful bits, and then there's always things that make you wonder, <laughs> right? And I, I don't think we've ever, I don't think anybody in that field has, would ever have said, anywhere along the way that we've got this thing nailed down, like that we know what we're doing a hundred percent, that the expression of the prophetic ministry in the charismatic world is perfect, is, is exactly what we see in the script. I mean, nobody's ever even thought that. We all have known that there's something a bit maybe um, incomplete, I would have said, sometimes a bit, you know, slightly left of center, like, and you just kind of tilt your head and walk away and shake and try to do better next time. But, but um, those, those feelings, those discernments became um, screaming when we hit 2020. It was that there was enough prophetic craziness in our country and several countries and, and political mayhem and all of that, that um, it felt like we were we were at a crisis moment with the prophetic. And so I myself had to dive back into the scripture again. And in a, in a night where my husband is watching television, I sit down and I open up the book of Acts and I skim through the whole thing. It took an hour. Like I've read it enough times where I just skimmed through the whole thing, highlighting, this is the first time I've ever done this, highlighting um, with a pen 
every single moment that felt and seemed prophetic to me. And by the time I got to the end of the book of Acts, I sat there sick to my stomach, feeling like I had seen the true prophetic for the first time. And I, and I know in a way that's not true because I know the Lord has done some phenomenal things and the prophetic, the true prophetic is in our midst. But I, uh, I was compelled at that point as I was pretty shaken to keep going and to begin um, a study of the prophetic, just observing it throughout the scripture, almost like you would a character in a movie, like you were doing a character study, only I'm studying the spirit of prophecy as it shows up in this person, and then what does it look like in Isaiah versus David versus you know, John the Baptist versus Jesus versus John? Like, what does, what does this character, uh, this um, spirit of prophecy look like in this? epic movie. And that um, is what began. I just began taking my own notes and going through my own study. And then, because I have good friends like Lucy and and Roger Ellis and several others, I um, began to pull on them and and piece this course together. So what it, I've been calling it an observation study, and it's 12 modules, and it starts with the Old Testament prophets, does a good dip into the, um, the artist's and the, the creatives, and um, we use David as a landing point for that. And we spend a good amount of time on Jesus himself, of course. And then through the, the New Testament and the advancement of, of the gospel and the, the role of the prophetic in that. Um, and in this course, um, we have about 25 different um, theologians, pastors, leaders, teachers from around the world. We wanted it to be multinational, um, international, and and hence we have a course on our hands. <laughs> About a year later, I have a course on my hands that felt a bit like an accident, but somewhere in there I saw what was happening. So as you were working through the scriptures yourself and this course was birthed from that, maybe you can speak to what were the, some of the things that, you, that kind of came alive to you again? Um, and then you know, what were some things that were new discoveries? And perhaps we can look a little bit as well at um, what were some challenges to the current uh, scene um, that you discovered as well. So let's just talk through some of that. Okay. I'm scared to say my conclusion, but one of the big conclusions for me, if I could put it that way, is um, that I don't think we have a gift problem, but I do think we have a purpose problem. I think we have a lot of people who are highly gifted but don't really understand the purpose of the prophetic. And so about halfway through, I felt like I was fighting for clarity on the purpose. What is this supposed to do? And in our day, especially in our cultures in the West, I would say both in the US and UK and Europe, we would define the purpose instantly in most of our charismatic churches by 1 Corinthians 14, that it's to edify, exhort, and comfort. And uh, I had to really challenge that, I mean, deeply. First of all, we've taken one scripture and made it the anchor of everything prophetic, and that might have something to do with the fact that I'm, I'm pretty convinced we have an idol of comfort in our culture. So we really like felt <laughs> drawn <laughs> to this comfort word, you know? I, I honestly think, you know, Paul, as he, as he wrote that, he, you know, rebuke would be very comfortable. Like, uh, what does he mean by comfort as opposed to what we mean in our cultural 
um, landscape today. So there was many things in that, in that passage I had to pull, like loose up that that's, that's not allowed to be an anchor point anymore. Can we, can we just dig into it? I'm really intrigued by that idea because my perspective on that is that sometimes we've used that first Corinthians 14 as a seatbelt to keep everybody in and as kind of like a, a, an umbrella, um, that we think provides safety for folks. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's because we're not too sure about how to steward some of this. Is that exactly, is exactly. That? that is exactly right. Yeah. And I'm kind of ruining the end of the movie by this right now, because <laughs> the, through the course, the journey of it is at the beginning, we've got to take the seatbelt off. And it's, it's there, there's two things that we want this course to do is we want it to blow the ceiling off but we want the roots to go deeper right. in several ways. And so by blowing the ceiling off, this is the, this is the bit that's really uncomfortable, especially for pastors and leaders, is, is that um, as far as I can tell, and many of my smart friends agree, <laughs> is that as you look through the New Testament, every single time we see the prophetic function, it falls into three categories. And I would clearly say throughout the book of Acts, especially, falls into three categories. It is... Um, direction, correction, and warning. And those are the three things that in prophetic trainings around the country we're told not to do. And so that that was a, a first big alarm bell for me. But that's really uncomfortable for most pastors and leaders to say, yeah, the prophetic is meant to direct, correct, or warn. Hmm. Like those are, That's not comfortable at all. And so it really pushes against this the seatbelt, as you put it, that we've tried to... Um, help contain the damage that we've seen unhealthy prophetic do is we've taken that first corinthians 14 passage and say okay you guys are wacky and you're hurting people so to stop that let's slap this seatbelt on you and say you you have to be nice stop being mean right like and and that there's truth to that obviously um but it's it's not altogether um holistic because being nice in our culture means don't correct me ever. And we've seen where that gets us. That's not healthy. So how then, what, because I think people are, have seen a lot of abuse and a lot of people um, using the prophetic as a front for kind of power plays or telling people what they ought to do or keeping a control of people mm-hmm. so where do you land then on because as you said you're just kind of blowing apart that whatever the they are whatever off. the umbrella is there or the, or the seat belt on that what are some things that you have thought about through the course some healthy ways to exercise some of those three principles that you've that you've talked about well the the other bit towards the end of the course uh-huh. um we we go really deep into um submission. So the biggest difference between the Old Testament prophetic and the New Testament prophetic in the that shift there, one of the things that shifted is the the level of authority the prophetic is allowed to have. And uh, as opposed to like Isaiah wasn't told to submit his words for testing and weighing, right? Right. But we are in the New Testament. We are um, prophetic people are to be radically submitted. And most of the time, I can't say all the time, but most of the time in the New Testament, you see the prophetic functioning in community. And so the, the, the healthy bit is the, the submission to testing and weighing. And not just the words, this is really uncomfortable. 
but not just the words, but the, the people, the prophets themselves are, are called to be tested and weighed. Our character, our marriages, the way that we are walking with the Lord, who sees us, knows us. That's why the social media prophets and these, like these people that have no accountability, that's, that's just unbiblical. And we are not in charge of the New Testament church. The elders and the, I mean, the, 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 the elders and the deacons lead the church and we are submitted. And, and I know there's a whole question on the fivefold and we go mm-hmm. into that in the course. Then, mm-hmm. and, and that's, you know, the level of authority there is, um, not really clear. So, um, the, the, the attempt to blow the ceiling off to say we can't put these limits on prophetic people, but take, um, but then taking the roots deeper into being known and in relationship and accountability, being tested and weighed um, by the, the community. I mean, and by the, the elders and the leaders and, and the discerners in the community is where the checks and balances are. But that also puts a demand on those leaders to know how to do that yeah. and to rightly steward that and to rightly bring correction where correction's needed. You know? Yeah, so there are all kind of questions in there about what do our how do our church communities function yeah and i think sometimes even if we come to the the idea of just kind of our biblical knowledge we sometimes i think can fall into israel with moses right you go up the mountain mm-hmm. you meet oh, with the totally. Lord and bring it back to us totally. and we receive that um, whereas as we move into the new testament we see this more community learning together and i like that idea as well of that those who are prophetic among us are not, we don't send them out to meet with God and come back and tell us what God says, but to receive the message from them and then discuss it and discern it together. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. The, the purpose, which I didn't really tell you what my, what mm-hmm. I understand the purpose of the prophetic to be. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Abraham Heschel, several of the, the theologians, um, that we have trusted in and used and quoted quite often in this course, uh, agree when they, they define the prophetic, the purpose of the prophetic from Genesis to Revelation is to align the, the body of Christ, the people of God to the covenant. It is the purpose. And so even the testing and weighing uh, has to fall in line with the purpose. And that could be an individual encouraging word, or it could be um, much more than that. That, that it's it's quite broad, but it still, no matter what, needs to be aligning um, the people of God to the covenant. And in the Old Testament, of course, that's the law. In the New Testament, it is Jesus. Yeah. And hence, the reason why the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And so the primary thing that happens in, in from the Old Testament to the New Testament is the the um, the shift in covenant, is the, or the fulfillment of the covenant in Jesus. That So the change in the covenant... Or, Change isn't the right word, but um, is what shifts the authority of the prophetic right in that moment. Yeah. So those prophetic words or messages are there to uh, align us to the heart of and the character of Christ mm-hmm. and bring us deeper into relationship with him. Is that fair? To that is absolutely fair. And um, and yet I would also throw in that his, his purposes. Mm-hmm. Right, because we see throughout, uh, especially in the Book of Acts, but all the way through, we see um, the, the the prophetic continually and repetitively 
paves the way for the gospel to advance. And so we see, you know, Ananias is the prophet that opens the eyes of Paul, which I love the symbolism of that. If I don't stretch it too far of the prophetic opening the eyes of the apostolic to ignite it forward, right? Yep. So I mean, there's dynamic in there all the way through and, and the Macedonian man showing up and, and catapulting the gospel into Europe. And, and there, there's that you can see the purpose of the prophetic doing something in the scripture that we that doesn't look anything like what we use it for today. I mean, today it's the hot seat and we all want to stand around and practice hearing encouraging words for one another, which I love. I'm like, I'm not against that. Keep doing that. We need help loving people. But that can't define the prophetic. And we have allowed it, I think, in most of our church cultures, we've allowed that to define the prophetic or standing on a stage and calling out names, dates, and addresses or, or like speaking nice things or gifts and callings over people. Some of that is fine. Some of it's not. But it's, uh, I've often been in those settings where I'm, I try to imagine sitting next to the Apostle Paul and, and hearing him say, what's happening here? Like, this is not how we see the prophetic function is this this is not what it's supposed to be doing this is it's supposed to be catapulting the gospel into unreached places it's supposed to be directing the the kingdom in ways to advance that we are not thinking of currently and this is this day and hour we need that more than ever we are living in a world that we don't understand we've never understood it but now we know we don't understand it and we need mature prophetic voices in our midst is there um because you just touched on that kind of how do we relate to the world yeah. around us and certainly we read the old testament prophets really speaking a lot to this idea of the justice of god and the heart of god for the world do you think as well are kind of sometimes that retreats maybe not the right word but the the defining very narrowly of what prophetic is has stopped us sometimes from speaking god's words of justice to the world around us absolutely absolutely well i think there's a and this is, I'm overgeneralizing, so please, I'm asking for grace here, but um, I would say in general, we've had the charismatic movement and then the justice movement, and they don't often meet. And I know they do at WTC. I know they do in certain places, but it's not very common. And I've, I've wondered, it's like the, the justice movement has their expression of the prophetic. They might not be calling it that, but it, um, there is some prophetic dynamic in their movement. Of course, there's also lots of man's opinions and the will of man and, you know, um, a more uh, self-righteous judgment, if I could put, yeah. put it yep. that way, or justice in yep. the eyes of man, if I could put it that way. Yep. In the same way that in the charismatic world, we, we say a lot of things that we're claiming that God said that he probably didn't say. But there's, there is a justice dynamic to the prophetic, absolutely, in the, in the alignment um, of the people of God to the covenant and the, to the will of God in the earth and then vice versa. Did I answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, I'm just rambling a bit. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think just um, we're, we're in a very tumultuous time. Yes, we are. Um, not that the world has ever been fully... You're kind of a place that's at peace, but just there's a lot's going on, and we've been through a lot in the last few years. And um, mm. I think sometimes we can get um, sidelined into um, conversations or discussions or taking sides. Um, that, and really, what we ought to be doing is listening to what God's voice is for the world and, and speaking that. And sometimes mm. we might align in some areas, but. I think sometimes we wed ourselves too quickly to certain ideas, and um, That's true. yeah, we need to we need to be 
like you say, aligning ourselves with with God's will and God's purposes. Which that's discipleship, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the growth of our own hearts um, to even rightly separating out where does my opinion end and what is God actually saying. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's our that's our spiritual journey. A big part of our spiritual journey is knowing the difference between my voice and His, and my will and His, and yep. my opinion and His. Yeah. We've spoken a little bit about churches that are exercising gifts or at least seeking to mm-hmm. um, and may have some history there with kind of pulling back or moving forward with with gifting. What would you say to churches that maybe have an idea that they kind of believe in exercising these gifts, but they're not quite sure how to put it into, into practice? Um, I understand. Uh, I understand the, the fear or the hesitation, or the caution. Usually, um, churches like that are um, really just wanting to protect their people from yeah. what they see as a danger. Yeah. And so I really understand that. And I appreciate that pastoral heart. The pastoral and the prophetic have often felt like they are at odds, but they're they're not meant to be. And I uh, and so I, I have compassion on that, I really do. And I always feel like I want to repent, you know, for the people who they've seen or witnessed or heard the stories of how people have been hurt to the point where now they feel like they need to protect um, their people from the gifts of the Spirit. But there's mostly, if you really talk to them, they're usually not saying, I don't trust the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. They're saying, I don't trust people. And most of them have a deep love for the Holy Spirit yeah. and would want the Holy Spirit to um, to have full access to their church. And if uh, it would be a wrong assumption for um, for anyone to presume that because they were hesitant with the spiritual gifts being released, that they um, somehow didn't believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not fair. That's uh, that wouldn't be accurate. So part of me would want to. Uh, validate them for that and understand it but i um the holy spirit is quite dangerous right yeah he's so we do need to get over um the the idea that maybe we're better pastors than the holy spirit is and that's uh we wouldn't ever say that out loud but um that is quite a journey for the true pastoral heart to come to the point of like, no, I, you're dangerous, and I need I, you're a better pastor than I am, and so that that that's a journey that uh, of for shepherds that they they need to go on at some degree if they're in that uh, if they veer in that direction. Um, but the other thing that I would say is that uh, we usually in in reaction to um, hesitation or to something that might feel dangerous to our community. Rules and boundaries aren't usually the best answer. It's, it's, uh, we usually put rules and boundaries in places where we don't have enough confidence to steward it in maturity, right? right. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. Um, so we slap a rule down because we're, a, we don't really know either side of what's true and we're not really confident ourselves. And so, uh, the next thing I would want to encourage those leaders is to educate themselves on what is this, these gifts, what are they actually supposed to be accomplishing and, and how could they actually function in our local community? 
But it's, it's quite the process because it's not just the leaders needing to learn themselves about these gifts and what they're supposed to look like and how they're supposed to be and what's, what they're, you know, to have a, a solid biblical foundation for them and then raise those people up into maturity. But it, it's an education for the whole community because if the, like for the prophetic, for example, if the prophetic is to be tested and weighed, that means the whole community needs to know how to test and weigh the prophetic according to scripture, according to the person and the character of Jesus, according to the covenant, according to even the, um, the eternal purposes of Christ. And what's our theology on that? Like there's quite an education that would need to happen. So, um, it's, it's a journey, but I, I'd say it's not an optional journey because we, I mean, we're supposed to be building the kingdom, building church, the big C church on revelation, uh, on his voice. And, and the, the prophetic, that's why the prophetic and the apostolic work together, right? To, and so it's not optional. We can't avoid it because it's scary. We have to dive in and education is crucial. Yeah. Like first Corinthians says, don't despise yeah. the gifts. Yeah. Especially prophecy. Especially, I know. And we were talking ahead of time that I'm like, I still giggle over the fact that prophecy is the only gift that we're told not to despise. Nobody's despising the gift of healing. Like, <laughs> like, why, why, Lord, did you have to tell us not to despise this gift? I think there's a reason behind that. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so this course that you've developed, reframing the prophetic, um, how how would you see that working for communities? Well, um, the courses, you can have local, let me, I'm going to back up on that. Go for it. Because we, we have online groups right now. They're just all done in small group cohorts online. Um, but then the goal is that every local church would have a, a cohort running a group in, in person that will train people and run the course in their local church. Um, on an annual basis, because I, I think on a, on a regular rhythm of things is how we build culture. And that in order for you to have a culture in your local community that is contagious, you, it needs to be repetitive. And so there's, um, whether it's this course or another course, I don't want to sound like a salesperson, but uh, it needs to be a repetitive recurring part of your regular rhythms every year that you've got somebody in your local community trained and ready to lead people through um, a, a biblical reflection journey on the prophetic. And that's not just for prophetic people. That's everybody learning how to relate to this gift even. And I, uh, a lot of people are really interested in that. And then we also have a... Um, a pastor's cohort uh, that we try to pull pastors together from various churches to have conversations on their own heart dynamic of what we're talking about, their own journey that they need to go through to, to learn, to feel empowered, to feel um, confident in knowing how to steward this gift in their community. And um, not, so it's not so scary. And then, um, and then we have a, at the, the last module, and we definitely share this with the pastor's cohort, and we have a whole system that we've tried in various sizes of churches and styles of churches that we can recommend and help coach churches on how to, how to facilitate um, the prophetic with discernment teams and testing and weighing and all of that. So we're, we're trying our best to equip the local church because I think that's where the prophetic needs to primarily function. That's great. And where can we find out about that? Um, it's all on the website, reframingtheprophetic.com. Easy to remember. Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) 
thank you so much for this conversation. I, and I know in this amount of time we've just been able to prick yeah. a couple of yeah. a, a couple of themes. But I guess if we could just finish off, off here by um, if you could just kind of summarize your heart for this and just speaking to the people listening who are thinking through some of these things, what would you what would you say to them? I uh, we need the prophetic now more than ever, and I I want to raise up. I want to see uh, the next generation of prophets who are humble and submitted and mature and um, biblically anchored stand in their place and that there'd be trusted relationships between them and the leaders of churches that could actually um, help and join the team of leading the body of Christ forward into this next era. That would be my dream. Chris, thank you. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Kenny. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you, Chris and Kenny, for that insightful discussion on what it means for the church to be truly prophetic today. In our next episode, Kenny will be chatting with Dr. Jasper Knecht about how the early church's view on the scriptures can enrich our walk of faith. Jasper teaches Christian doctrine at WTC. He grew up in the Netherlands and completed his PhD in systematic and historical theology at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. This was another excellent theological conversation. Theodisc is part of WTC, a theological college that seeks to partner with the church through equipping and sending the whole people of God. Our innovative hub model allows you to study on any of our part-time programs without leaving your work or ministry. Come and find out more at wtctheology.org.uk Thank you for listening to episode 11 of Theodisc. Join us for episode 12 with Jasper Knecht as we read the scriptures with the early church. Bye for now.